this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, we have a new patron. We need to welcome a new patron to the union, Amy Kern. Welcome, Amy. Hello. We hope that you you have uh, enjoyed your uh, perusal of our 80s episodes. This episode we're doing now is going to be relevant to our 80s episodes, but we have all those 80s episodes exclusive to our patrons, which Amy now has access to, as well as our private Discord, where people talk about things, um, music, uh, gardening, television (laughs) shows, whatever whatever strikes you, whatever strikes you. And uh, as well as you'll have access to our box newsletter over at uh, Patreon, because that goes out every week with new reviews of uh, 80s and 90s music. So getting all the plugs in right up front before we get to this episode. And this was one where, Jay, we had previously done an episode for our 80s uh, episodes, which are exclusive, I mentioned. And now we're that was the debut album. And now we're getting to check out the band. Sort of at, at its, I don't know, commercial most like people, more people knowing about the band probably than ever based on the success of their yeah. previous single. Uh, but I don't want to give this it away. Be the first time this has happened, right? We we haven't done a '80s episode first and then right. '90s for the same band. No, we've done the the other way, but not uh, not this way. Yep. So that's fun. Without further ado, let's welcome our patron. He's been here before. You might know him from such episodes as Skinny Puppies The Process, Night Wishes Oceanborn, Knights or Abs Abhead, and last year's the Garo. Oh, I can't remember how to pronounce this. The Garo Gara Gigi Tokyo Tokyo Anal Dynamite. I don't remember how to say the name. I'm sorry, Josh. Welcome back, Josh. Glad to be back on with y'all, and it's uh that was the Garagari gay 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 for the record. But Garo anyway, gay 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 That's right. Uh, that was a the record of 2021 that uh, summed up all our feelings about 2020. Uh, <laughs> that was the the cultural zeitgeist record, as I'd like to like to think of it. Uh, but you're back with a pick that we mentioned. We've done this band in our, first in our 80s episodes. Now it's our 90s episode. Share with the listening audience. Right what you brought to the table. So, so normally I like to bring in uh, artists from left field for y'all to cover. This time I went with a mainstream artist, but their most left field record. And that would be Faith No More's Angel Dust. Yes. This comes on the heels of their 1989 album, The Real Thing, which of course people know because of their epically large single epic uh that uh you couldn't escape was all over mtv it was it still is like if you go on a classic rock radio i mean it's scary to think that this is qualifies but if you like this will be played you will hear like this song then a Soundgarden song and then black sabbath and then like three dog night on a classic rock station it's so weird to hear these all these bands (laughs) all described as classic rock uh because none of you you would have never thought of them as classic rock in the in the time period they existed but that's where we're at now um so when did you get into faith no more josh so um i'm more of a 90s kid so i kind of came along and got into music after epic really broke out but because i was listening to alter so much alternative rock radio it would still get play occasionally on the rock stations around cleveland so you know i heard it just from that and i always really liked that song i was a big fan of you know the funk metal style in general and i still have a bit of a soft spot for it um but i didn't really have history 
with them beyond that for a long time. It wasn't until much later in my life, um, really just within the last few years, that I went through more of Mike Patton's back catalog and I stumbled upon this album. And it has, and it's become a, a very special one to my heart. So excellent. Jay, what's your familiarity with Faith No More? Well, uh, like everybody, I remember when they broke on MTV um, for Epic and then became a little bit aware of the album prior to that that we reviewed in the 80s. Um, And I remember, and I'm looking at the dates, it it was quite a bit of time, what, three three years at least between records, which is a long time to wait. Um, And I I kind of remember that. Mike Pat went to make that Mr. Bungle record. Yeah, that's why And I kind of remember a lot of anticipation building around, you know, was this band going to be, um, were they sort of like a, an MTV hit, you know, one hit wonder kind of thing, or, you know, where were they going to go next? So, um, I remember when this came out, it was a big deal commercially, but then I also remember like pretty quickly, it was one of those records that like lots of different people seem to respect and like you know that that i was friends with regardless of whatever kind of music they liked it just sort of um i think went to the next level or creatively for the band and um i remember the singles being very distinctive at the time and really kind of unlike anything else uh that was going on so uh, i believe i own it on cd and so i got into the band even more probably on this record. And then the one after it, after Jim Martin leaves, um, I was kind of into as well. So this is, is probably the height of my familiar with band and the record that I have probably listened to most from Faith No More. Gotcha. Well, I, Tim. I thought that I didn't know this record, but apparently I listened to it at some point because as soon as, um, midlife crisis hit i was like wait a minute i know this and then a small victory and i was like wait a minute i know this and then um be aggressive and I'm like how am i how do i know so many songs from this record if i if i didn't listen to this record so at some point i must have i'm guessing that some point in the 2000s when um i acquired a lot of cheap cds and then ended up selling them back um i must have ripped this at some point because it's in my mp3 um standalone uh uh you know tower of uh, of um memory so it's not at the best uh you know it's only at like 96k but <laughs> it's in there so I, de- yeah. I and i remember the it's the next album king for a day i remember when that came out because yeah. got the single got pushed at a radio station but i didn't like at the time i didn't do a deep dive on the band and i didn't know i didn't really realize I made a comment in our Discord that, you know, the average American probably only knows Epic. Like, they don't know this band. But, and I guess I didn't realize at the time how much, how big this record was in terms of, it went gold in the United States, 500,000. That's, for this, for this record, that's pretty good. I mean, this is a not yeah. a mainstream album. <laughs> um, number 10 on the U- U.S. Billboard 200. I mean, it got a heavy push. Keep that in mind. I mean, there was right. a lot of money. But it charted all over the world. Number four in Australia, number six in New Zealand, number two in the UK. You know, it, it did some numbers. And um, I think what was interesting is, so when I, I listened to this based on the original release, which is, does not include Easy, the yes. cover of the Commodore song. Right. A, because I knew that, but they released like multiple versions of this because that had been on a, I guess an EP. And then they, they re-released this a year later after the release date with that song as like the final track on the album, uh, which is odd. Yeah. I'd heard that. I was confused when I went back and, um, for this episode, because I always knew that song is like a B side. I, I never realized that it was ever part of any release um, of this record, which was interesting. Yeah, I didn't know either. 
So let's get to some comments over at Patreon, folks who were excited for us to talk about this record. We'll talk about their the poll results at the end of the show. But Scott Holgram said, the best. That's your podcast, the best. You can skip what doesn't work for you. <laughs> Kyle Bittner said, amazing album. Everything's Ruined is my favorite Faith No More song. And when I worked at a used record store comic book shop i would play rv at the end of our night to get people to leave oh <laughs> uh, that's interesting um hal phillips says this is the best faith no more album john seaman great album last one with jim martin so many great tunes but the ones that always stuck out to me was rv because it's so weird Darren Svedson says, awesome collection, was a huge Faith No More fan back in the day, revisited this a few months ago, and it still holds up. Jeremy Amen listened to this past summer for the first time in over a decade. There might be one or two songs that I could take or leave, but this is a very worthy album. I still remember my middle brother bringing home the cassette the week it came out. My brothers and I sat there listening to it and kept taping, taking turns commenting on how weird, wild, and interesting it was. Nothing else like it. I also remember the conversation suddenly stopping. When I asked what a jizzlobber is, never got an answer. The music <laughs> must have gotten got extra interesting then. <laughs> Gavin, very worthy album. I've always been meaning to put this forward, so hoping you do it justice. My love of be aggressive is or is noted here already. A song that must be impossible to write and shouldn't work, but is amazing. And lastly. Richard Waters said, although I prefer the two albums directly after this, it's still an amazing album that has so many different elements to it. There's so much diversity and crazy stuff going on, yet it seems to flow together so well. There are all kinds of different songs, some quirky and avant-garde, some very metal and heavy, while those are good, catchy pop songs. Uh, he wrote a lot of stuff here, but I just get to the end. He said, uh, my only slight complaint is that it sounds a bit dated, and I'm not a massive fan of Jim Martin's guitar tones. I can't wait to hear what Tim's family made of this when he played it. We're the album in a 90s classic. And then Jeremy said, Tim and his wife and kids were singing Crack Hitler for days after hearing this album. Uh, I did not play this at full volume for the family. Uh, you know what I did play is the Chipmunks uh, uh, covers album that was tuned down to uh, 116th, the original speed. So you can listen to Belinda Car Carlisle's uh, Heaven is a Place on Earth sound like a death metal uh, Joy Division dirge <laughs> and it's absolutely fantastic it's the strangest thing and I'm obsessed with listening to it right now but that's neither here nor there let's get into this record Angel Dust a title that Jim Martin was not a fan of and it, and it rejected it but it, but Roddy Bottom wanted that to be the name of the album so we should mention uh, we've already done an 80s episode but we didn't do a, a history of the band then but uh, Billy Gold Roddy Bottom, Mike Borden Mike Patton, uh, Jim Martin, those are the members of the of the band. Um, this was produced, engineered, and mixed by Matt Wallace, well-known producer, worked with a lot of people, everyone from the replacements to Rune, Rune 5. And uh, that's it. Yeah, that's all the stuff we need to cover, because people know who Faith No More are. I'm not going to do a huge, a huge thing. So... June 8th, 1992, this album drops. Jay, tell me one thing you like about Angel Dust by Faith No More. I love the way that they combine keyboard with, I guess, funk, almost funk-like rhythms. I mean, there's a lot of propulsion and the, the drumming is very heavy. I mean, he's, Mike Borden also played drums for Ozzy Osbourne. Yep. Um, and but there's like a funk element to the bass um at times just in the way that uh, he plays and the way that 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 those two things come together with these bursts of almost classic thrash metal and i'm gonna um push back on the jim martin's guitar tone i think that's what makes this so cool is that it's not a sort of later 90s Oh, like extremely overdriven like um new metal sound it's still got that classic kind of thrash tone 
And I think there's something magical that happens when you combine that with these synths that are like over the top at times um, in terms of the sounds that Roddy Bottom is using, not traditional sounds that you would use in a, you know, a heavy rock band, but somehow like the way that that comes together with this very, um, very tight and um, just really strong rhythm section is is unlike anything else and i think this record is the best example um because after this you don't have jim martin anymore the guitars change the sensibilities of it change there's also something i think here where the guitars at times play less of a prominent role they let the keys come forward and some of obviously let mike Patton do a lot more on this record than on the previous record or he just you know sort of is in create a um prime here so you're getting a lot more vocally going on and there's just a really cool balance between all of those things uh so the songs where those things are all at the forefront you know i would even say the ones that are probably more keyboard driven you know i think um midlife crisis is a good example um so is um small victory where that's simply the, that's that sound that starts that song. It's just like, what in the world? Like, how is this a rock song in 1993? Like. original and just unique sounds and way that they bring that all together. So I think when they're, when the, to me, when the keyboards are um, prominent and the songs are kind of based around those is probably where it's the most magical um, in terms of a unique sound, this sort of beautiful haunting keyboard sound with this super aggressive, propulsive rhythm section and um these kind of chuggy riffy guitars it's just a it's a really cool combination um and i guess the last thing is obviously you know mike Patton, like i mentioned here is really coming to his own he's the man of a thousand voices like he sings in so many different ways um and is such a like technically good singer but also so aggressive and emotional you know you kind of hear the full range of his capabilities on this and um from singing you know big hooks to almost playing characters and doing voices and lots of overdubs and great performances so i think the second thing is just you know his his talent obviously comes through on this record um without any questions. So that's some of the stuff that I liked. How about you, Tim? Well, there's a lot to like. I want to go back to Small Victory for a moment. When I re-listened to that song over a couple of times, I was like, this is a David Bowie song. Mm. If, you, if you swap out David Bowie for at least the verse parts, it gets a little heavier in the, in the chorus parts. But if you, you could swap out David Bowie and that could have oh, been on, yeah. that could have been on any of his 90s records. Like that, right. that has because of that weird i don't know what scale that is but it's not a typical mm. um scale that you use in rock music you know it has like an almost like arabic middle eastern yeah. kind of scale going on with that keyboard part that's happening um there is just like this vibe of of bowiness on that song and there, i think throughout this record there are bits and pieces where i go I don't know if that's an homage, but like that's definitely sounding like something. But they're so good musically, and the same thing with with Mr. Bungle. 
I mean, they can just play anything. And sometimes I think what I liked this that maybe didn't work for me as well with Mr. Bungle is that they can pull that stuff off here, but they construct really good songs. Whereas Mr. Bungle was a little bit more hard for me to figure out what was going on half the time. Yeah. Because it was so dramatic in its shifts. Whereas when you get these guys and you have the keyboard, I think the keyboard is just like such a great weapon in their arsenal that Mm -hmm. it completely separates them from anybody else. You know, nobody else was using a keyboard in that way. In in this type of because this this you take that out and this could very easily be a very weird grunge band, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you yep. just adding that layer of synth to so many songs, just it adds this weird melancholy to a lot of the songs. That you're like, this is this is a it makes it sound more I don't know dramatic in ways that I you don't expect. Uh, and they're very smart about where they use it. And uh, I just, I think this is just such a fun record to, it's not for everybody. I mean, I'm just going to say, you know, if you're not into thrash metal, I mean, you're going to have a couple tracks to skip. And yeah. a, a track like RV is can be real polarizing because of its, I mean, just because it's, you know, I mean, it's like it's like listening to um, the thing that reminded me of was uh, the song Bugs on Pearl Jam's Vitology. We were like, what is this mayhem? Do you remember that song? uh, Tom Waits. If Tom Waits did a metal album. Or if Tom Waits did a metal album. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like that. But I think like so much of this record is just brilliant, and they're they're obviously smart. As you know, Mike Patton's a smart lyricist, and like you said, he can shift his vocal from song to song and do such interesting things that it's just a it's just such an interesting listen all the way through. And you, there's nothing to get bored with. I mean, they within songs they they I think pull off the weird changes between styles and time signatures and all that much more fluidly than a lot of bands of similar ilk. Not that there are a lot of bands, but there's just something that they do here. I think it's because I, you know, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, Mark, Mike Borden's a really amazing drummer. I mean, the stuff that he's doing on here, but he's not super like flashy. Like he's not doing these gigantic fills in between parts and he's not, I mean, he just comes up with like really inventive rhythms and, and propulsive backbeat to just a lot of these songs that like, you're not expecting it. And it's got a groove and, but he's not showy in, in any sense. He's got to fill, you know, a lot of these songs, the um they'll be extended like they'll hit chords and let them ring especially mm-hmm. on the guitar maybe even the strings or the synth will double that so i find it remarkable and then he he's got space to fill there you know he doesn't just i think he uses those opportunities to keep things interesting and then also mike Patton then has space to do stuff that's you know a little out there um so you, you can hear that push him you know, push and pull of like, they know like, okay, we're going to keep it simple from a guitar and keyboard standpoint during the section. That means Mike Borden, okay, you do something cool and come forward. And now 
we're going to do a, you know, a heavy riff or some keyboard melody that's really important. Let's simplify the drums. Like you can hear that push and pull going on. They're all amazing players. Yeah. Midlife crisis, I think is a good example of that where Jim Martin just hitting like these big chords at times. And he's doing that, that thing where I I'm guessing there's extra percussion that he's either adding to his kit or putting it on afterwards, but it's just a super, super groovy rhythm. Yep. And he, I mean, he carries that song. And then Mike Patton is obviously doing something really cool on top of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there was, there was a, a ton to really enjoy with this record. What works best uh, for you, Josh, on this album? Ooh, boy. Um, one of the things that really stood out to me, um, so I'm also a huge fan of The Real Thing, their album before this, the one with Epic and all that. Um, I really dig that album too, but one of the things that stood out to me as a major improvement with Angel Dust is you kind of hinted at this earlier, the lyrics. Um, a lot of the real thing, if you really take a closer look at the lyrics for it, a lot of it's just inscrutable. Like, um, there's just not really a whole lot there if you look at it. Whereas here, there's a lot more distinct themes of, you know, you know, you know stuff about say capitalism and such or you know was it basically like like fam- like families and their relation to kids like like rv for example like the closing lines of that one like that really stood out to me for example mm-hmm. i love um or you know land of sunshine which is one of my favorite songs um from this album overall but there what's funny with that one is for those who don't know the story um so um, Land of Sunshine and Caffeine, Mike Patton, he wrote the lyrics for those while he was up for, I think, 48 hours straight or something like that. And Land of Sunshine in particular, the, all the lyrics for that were taken from infomercials and the Church of Scientology's uh, psychological quizzes. <laughs> True story. That's great. I can, I mean, you know, it's one of those things where I, I read that he got his, some of the ideas were like literally off of, um, off of like uh, uh, cookies from Chinese meals where you crack open to get your yeah. fortune. Yes. And he was literally just using fortune cookies as, as a driver for lyrical inspiration. And, but I think sometimes what happens is you can find some, some unintended meaning or themes when you start building on sort of these simple yes. universal ideas. Um, I also like the fact that I feel like he put as much effort like you could you could do a lot of that dumb lyrical free association stuff and it could sound cool in, in the same way that like sometimes I listen to Beck lyrics and I'm like he's just throwing words that have a lot of choppy consonants together so that it sounds interesting but what is he actually is he actually saying anything but Mike Patton remembers like the hooks and even if they're weird hooks that only make sense to him and you know the people that really get this um i mean all these songs have like really interesting or or the majority of them obviously midnight convoy doesn't but uh have really interesting like lyrical turns that even if it's not necessarily the main hook of the song there's always something like you said with like the ending of rv you're like like when that ends i'm like wait what like keep the story going <laughs> Even though I don't necessarily like love that song as a whole, like it goes on a little bit longer than maybe I would love or maybe I would like, but there are always like little things that stick out. Um, and then there's big things like it be aggressive, which is like I I don't know any other band that could pull that that, that song. Yes.
and that's another one of the things that also that really worked for me was how Mike Patton throughout this, he just goes all the way in and whatever he's doing. And for some of the stuff in here, that's not easy. Like you mentioned, be aggressive, which spoilers, that's literally my favorite Faith No More song ever. And I'm really glad one of the Patreon comments shouted that one out also, because that's not an opinion I see a lot. But that was written by uh, Roddy Bottom, the keyboard player, because he was, I think, like one of the really one of the earlier um, members of a major rock band to be openly gay. And right. he wrote that song solely to fuck fuck with Mike Patton. But when he got it, he he actually loved the song and he just went all the way with it. And like Kindergarten's another one I think of him too, how it's clearly like it's very clearly tongue in cheek, but the way Patton sells it, I think, is what makes it work for that. Like he's doing that with an earnestness to it still. I think he does so along the the whole record. I mean, because, you know, there's so much, like I mentioned, so much diversity. Uh, What is the song that I'm thinking of? Not malpractice. Uh, Is it smaller and small? No. Which one am I thinking of? There's one that's like very mellow that they compared to the Carpenters. And I was like, I could see this band on it, like unironically enjoying the Carpenters. Midnight um, Cowboy? Maybe that's it. Is that what I'm thinking? Is that what it is? As no. far as yeah, like, it's like a mel- like an instrumental. Far- oh, no, that's an instrumental. That's the theme song to Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. Um, as far as mellower stuff goes, I mean, everything's ruined, maybe. That's kind of on the mellower side for the album. Yeah, although it's got a kind of a busy rhythm. Yeah. And it picks up. But um, so anyway. Jay, what doesn't work for you on this record? Well, I, I tend to like when they like like I mentioned earlier, when it's more keyboard focus, uh, when they get too too aggressive. Uh, no pun intended Um, it starts to just sound a little generic uh, like Crack Hitler Jizz Lobber even though those horror movie keys are really weird um, there's something about that song that I also start to hear the the prototype for a band like Limp Bizkit like musically like when I listen to something like that it becomes clear to me like probably where a lot of those new metal bands um, got their inspiration that this record i'm pretty confident was in their catalog um so i think that just the stuff that's a little bit more straight metal or just full-on aggressive all the time malpractice is probably another good example it's not that it's bad it's just i don't know i want to get back to the other song because it's more unique and just gets me more like excited i don't know when i listen to the other stuff where they got that balance going on it's just so there's so much going on there i think you hit it with you go from a sound that without the keyboards would be just angsty and angry and aggressive to a sound that's um dramatic mysterious somber sad like it just gets so much more complex so um i would say that's the only thing that doesn't work for me i I don't mind like i'm with you on rv it's it's kind of a fun little diversion um so i don't mind even those steps you know it's doing things that are a little bit more just kind of weird or a little almost set pieces on the record where it's you know to kind of step take a left turn and tell a story for a minute and then come back uh, I think it's just the moments that are just um, maybe a little too typical metal are just okay. How about you, Tim? I, I agree with you because I don't think it takes full advantage of Mike Patton. I think in the end, like the music is mm-hmm. fine, but Mike Patton gets reduced to just sort of screaming a lot in those songs. Whereas you mm-hmm. take a song like Kindergarten, which is a heavy song, but 
it allows him to really like do a lot vocally. There's one part where he hits a note and he is holding on to it. And I mean, he's in like, that's very rare air, like his, his vocal abilities. Like he, he could have probably sang, he could probably could have fronted like a, a, you know, a new wave British heavy metal band with as big as his vocal is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because he's got this like side of him, that's, uh, utterly irrelevant, ir- ir- not irrelevant, it ir- ir- irreverent, and mm-hmm. and likes to put on these different voices and characters and and tackle all these difficult songs. Uh, as far as music goes, like that obviously wouldn't have been interesting to him to just stick to one style. But I do like it better when he's more in singing mode than like what's happening in in Jizzlobber. Like, cause I don't, I'm not a big enough thrash metal, death metal fan to want to hear screaming and and grunting and stuff like that. So it's like I don't. It doesn't. It doesn't uh, make me want to keep the song on. So, is there anything that doesn't work for you, Josh? Any particular songs maybe that stick out? Okay. Um. Yeah, I've been thinking about this. Um. So. I guess I might be kind of the opposite of y'all because I'm more of a metal guy in general, I guess. Um, Metal and punk and all that. So I am more here for the screaming. I mean, I wouldn't want a whole album of that because I do agree with you regarding Mike Patton's talents, but I'm glad that they're there as, you know, as just another side of him on the album. And Malpractice in particular might be, might be a top three song for me on that album. It's, it's tough it's tough tough sledding tough competition but that one might be up there for me but um i honestly feel like if anything the midnight cowboy cover is the one only one that's kind of a miss for me um i'm i and i guess just maybe it's that you know it's the one track that doesn't really use my patent at all maybe that's what does it for me but i mean it's just you know I guess it's maybe that, you know, no Mike Patton and no Jim Martin, who, you know, I also a big, you know, I love his work on this album too. You know, those are, you know, that's a lot of what really makes this, makes the album for me at its core. Um, so not having those elements, I guess, is just where it doesn't quite do it for me. Although the, the general tone of it, I do like, I do like the idea of that as the album closer at least. Yeah, I think really weird, weird with the um, the deluxe edition that it ends on um, two covers, Midnight Cowboy and then Easy, which are just so not what the rest of this record is about. Right. I think if um, if Crack Hitler and Jizzlobber did not come at the end of the record back to back, because uh, I don't mind malpractice. I think there's some really cool elements to that song. Um, I think if maybe they were spread out more, because it's like those two songs, which are not necessarily my favorite, and then the Midnight Cover, Midnight Cowboy cover, which is fine, but it could have been a hidden track or something. I didn't necessarily need to be an official track on the record. I don't think, I don't think it adds anything overall. Um, it might just be a, a track listing thing for me. Um, but I mean, I don't think it I don't think it takes away from the overall mm-hmm. album in terms of like I don't turn them off when I'm listening, you know, over and over again. So so I the one thing I wanted to touch on, so because we brought it up in in when we were talking about on uh Discord earlier. D- what is this band's legacy in terms of their importance? to 90s music because they don't get mentioned with Pearl Jam, Nirvana, even REM in in terms of like the big names. But you were mentioning it, Jay. I mean, you could make the argument that Limp Bizkit or Korn or, or some of the new metal bands that combined like heavy guitar riffs with um hip hop vocals essentially you know, probably were listening to this. Yep. Um, that's what I was just going to say that, you know, they're, you know, they're not really lumped in with the grunge set, but their influence carries more over to the next generation after that. And like, you know, 
I mean, a lot of those bands you mentioned, you know, they they themselves have outright mentioned Faith No More is a huge influence. I mean, you know, Corn they've talked about it constantly, for example. And like when I hear, like particularly like, uh, for example, you know, Midlife Crisis, you know, Mike Patton's vocal in the verses on that, like that's something I hear and think, you know, Corn must have picked something up from, you know, that's that yeah. that style of vocal is something I hear in them. For example. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I sort of looked at it like we had Faith No More with Epic. And then the other thing that seemed to to translate in terms of, I guess you'd say call it new metal, is the the Anthrax Public Enemy matchup on Bring the Noise. Because that, I mean, that to me was an eye opener. I was like, holy cow, you know, I ran out and bought that Public Enemy cassette because I was like, what? This is the most amazing thing that my parents would never listen to like you know what i mean oh for yeah, sure yeah but i think what's interesting about faith and more is that not only you know they check the box with okay they've got a bit they had a big song in the late 80s early 90s that had a rap style vocal over you know a metal track but musically when you listen to this record i hear a lot of the concepts that new metal went on to use i mean his vocals aside which i agree were super influential in those bands i think there's like that funk bass sound these super punchy drums the thrash guitars the use of like harmonics and even like the way that the the keyboards create kind of this ambient drone kind of thing i mean those are all things that yeah you know corn and countless other bands would pick up on and sort of you know, evolve and create in the later nineties, you know, a whole different sort of take on, um, alternative, uh, via metal. So, you know, vocals and musically, this band was super influential in that way. And I find that really, really interesting because one of the things I read about this album since, you know, it was seen as a commercial disappointment at the time. Um, and the label, like, I guess, you know, wasn't pleased with the direction they took musically on it. And they were the what I what they said that I found interesting was, you know, alternative never liked you guys anyway. And ba- basically, in terms of, you know, why they should have just done Epic 2 was their feeling on that more or less. But I, that's something I found really interesting, given, you know, where their influence ended up lying in the long run. Yeah. Neat little tidbit. Yeah, it's like. um they were a little maybe ahead of their time. Yeah. Like this, this record maybe seeded a lot of other um, artists that, you know, took a year or two to kind of percolate and kind of break through. And then they were, they were, they had already moved on to the next thing. Um, So definitely, I, I even remember at the time when I listened to this record, it took me, you know, a while to absorb what was going on. And I don't, I still don't think I understood at the time. I mean, things like in midlife crisis where they're using, you know, samples that was unheard of at the time for a rock band to be doing stuff like that. And then obviously all the other stuff that we've talked about, like Pat singing style, the use of keyboards, so many things were just so different that, um, you know, I remember it feeling like for, almost from the future when I first heard it um, at the time. So I think it, they were before their time, uh, particularly on this record. 
was that one that got stuck in your car for a month or two months because you bought it and you had to listen to it even if you didn't understand it? No, it was pretty popular with my my friends. I was in a band in high school and everybody in the band was into this record. It was it was everywhere. Well, I think we've reached the point where we should uh, take a look at what our patrons did in terms of voting. I don't think it'll surprise you. And I don't think our reviews will be a surprise when we when we discuss our, our final verdicts here. Were the album better EP decent single, Jay? Were the album. This is the Faith No More album that I'll, you know, always go back to um, whenever I want to hear the band. To me, this is their sound at its at its best. Um, and uh, you know, I I would probably chop off midnight cowboy and easy and and sort of listen to the 12 track version that would be my ideal version of all the versions that have come out um and call it a worthy album i agree with you 100 worthy album i think it is a for people who haven't heard it it's definitely worth checking out i'm glad that we're going back to it because like i said i only kind of remembered three songs so getting to hear the rest of the record and how creative it is and it just does not sound like anything else from from 1992. I can tell you that. Uh, if there is, please let us know because we we're missing out. Josh, where do you land? Um, I'm sure this is going to absolutely shock you guys. Um, <laughs> worthy album, and not what? even just worthy worthy album. Actually, I would go so far as to say this is still my single favorite rock album of the 90s period. That's where I'm at with this. Boom. Oh, interesting. But it wasn't your first pick. Well, I, I, I had to I had to break you guys down with, with all my <laughs> yeah. extra weird choices first. You make, did. Make, it was make too this popular. one all the more pleasurable to you. This was uh, I could see this the uh, process where you started with Skinny Puppy and then Nightwish and then Nights Reb and then last year. <laughs> it was it was a process of softening us up. <laughs> breaking us down <laughs> and breaking us down uh, and now we're being built back up again like the warriors we are <laughs> uh well our our patrons almost unanimously agreed 92 percent went with worthy album eight percent went with better ep so that's that's a landslide of of reagan mondale proportions right there it's actually less of a, a, a landslide because uh, Mondale didn't win anything. Uh, I don't think. Uh, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, good. Because <laughs> that means you're, you're young and you have your life ahead of you, unlike the rest of us. Uh, so we're the album from us, from the patrons. You should go check it out if you have not. If you're just uh, familiar with Epic, the single, then definitely give it a listen josh thank you for bringing this to us this is a great pick glad to have it in our uh in our catalog now yeah oh well uh definitely appreciate uh the kind words and i kind of figured um it would go over really well but still glad to see y'all confirm it this is uh yeah still an album i listen to and i'm really glad to share it with anyone out there might be listening so Thank you very much for having me on and for uh, giving this uh, wonderful, brilliant piece of work. It's due. Awesome. And thank you for, you know, being a part of the community. And we love the, we love all the picks you've given us over the years. They have <laughs> definitely expanded our, in all serious, they had, I mean, Jay and I would never have listened to Nightwish or, or, you know, skinny puppy on our own. We might've heard a song or two there, but like getting to dive into those records, Definitely provided. I think we actually gave Skinny Puppy a better uh, rating than you did. You did. I remember that. <laughs> I think Jay and I were like, wow, this album's awesome. You're like, I think it's an EP. <laughs> like, it's okay. The thing, well, my, my favorite Skinny Puppy albums are from the 90s, but they're the ones that are not rock. So I went with the more rock one to fit your right. theme better. Gotcha. That, that's right. Well, we appreciate you, you, you know, serving us up a softball for that one that was nice of you yeah uh, 
I want to remind folks they can go to digmeoutpodcast.com. That's where you go to do a lot of things. One, you can suggest an album there on our Suggest an Album page. You just throw the name of the album in and and the artist and and your name, and you give us a little description, and uh, it goes into our hopper. And every month, our patrons get to vote on a new album for us to review. comes from the website. And uh, not only do they get to vote on those, they get to vote on uh, episodes like this. When we're uh, we got new reviews coming up, picked by our patrons, they also get to uh, hang out on our Discord, talk uh, music and and all the things happening in the world that are um, not scary. Uh, we only like uh, we only talk about fun things like uh, uh, chipmunk music that's been tuned down one sixteenth and uh, sounds like uh, lost Biohouse recordings. Uh, and then also uh, we like to. Uh, post some 80s episodes like we did for the first faith no more album that was our seventh 80s episode we're already in the 20s now done so many 80s episodes and uh we got more coming up we just did dio we got a new one coming up uh next month in uh april so you gotta gotta join patreon for that it's also where you can go to read the box newsletter which you can sign up for uh via our website box newsletter is every month new albums uh music uh books tv shows two reviews a week plus a calendar of all the new releases for you to check out and uh lastly lastly last lastly uh apple podcasts leave us some positive feedback our gentle our gentle gentle egos need some stroking they're uh fragile fragile as they say so for Jay, I'm Tim, and we're out. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. <laughs>